We just heard the news that Perseverance is alive on the surface of Mars. Hey, there's some good news for you. You're welcome. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Well, it is on Mars. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe, around the universe, really, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Bird and Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, uh, Desi Doyen, it has been another stressful week. Oh, yes. Several weeks. Several months. (laughs) Several Several years. years here on planet Earth. So... We will slip these surly bonds uh, shortly to see what's uh, what's happening elsewhere in our universe for a welcome change. Just to go see how the neighbors are doing. Yes, but first, back here on Planet A, the idiocy continues. You know, uh, you got to give credit to the propagandists at Fox News and in the Republican Party. They are able to move fast, man, when they know that they've got a problem on their hands, like the failure to keep the power grid online for millions in the state of Texas due to a deregulated, privatized energy industry that just thought it would be too expensive to winterize oil and natural gas wells and pipelines and power plants, which power about 80 percent of the state. Uh, Or, yes, even the wind turbines, which count for anywhere from 7 to 15 percent or so of the state's energy needs. So with their with their main energy source, fossil fuels, Having failed in the state, which prides itself on being self-sufficient and having more dirty, unsafe fossil fuel reserves than 
anybody else in the country, maybe even anyone else in the world, who did Fox News and the Republican Party figure out they could blame for a near full week of blackouts across the state? The blackouts that are in Texas are being made worse by the failure of wind turbines, many freezing in the icy weather, cutting output in half. And it's raising questions about the Lone Star State's increasing reliance on renewable energy. Energy producing wind turbines are freezing, not working. <laughs> the windmills failed like the silly fashion accessories they are, and people in Texas died. Think about if, if, if we were in the AOC world, fast forward 10 years, and, and everything is solar, everything is wind. If you don't have power to keep you warm, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to die. A preview of what could happen if the AOC vision were reified throughout the United States. And this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Man, you got to give them credit. <laughs> they do try. They are good. They are good. Uh, meanwhile, back here on Planet Reality, Texas's freeze enter its, entered its sixth deadly day on Thursday as the biggest energy-producing state in the U.S. grappled with massive refining outages and oil and gas well closures that rippled beyond its borders into neighboring Mexico, as Reuters is reporting today. Yes, the failure of Texas to regulate its own oil and gas industry to winterize its facilities is now not only having a direct effect on just its own residents, but on the rest of the nation and, yes, even neighboring countries. The cold snap, which has killed at least 21 people in the state, knocked out power to more than 4 million, uh, is, is not expected to let up until this weekend, and the deep freeze has shut in about one-fifth of the nation's refining capacity and closed oil and natural gas production across the state. No, the so-called windmills are not the problem. But I do love how Fox, by the way, calls them windmills. You know, it doesn't call them wind turbines, but windmills, as if it's an old, rickety, wooden windmill in a Hans Christian Andersen <laughs> fable or something. How darling and quaint that is. Uh, you know, to think that these windmills could ever compete with the greatness of modern oil and gas created, by the way, by dinosaurs tens of millions of years ago. But sure, whatever, Fox News. The outages in Texas also affected power generation in Mexico, with exports of natural gas via pipeline dropping off about 75 percent over the past week. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, uh, who you heard there uh, talking, I think, to Sean Hannity, yes. uh, where he was saying, you know, on Twitter, yeah, it's the oil and gas. And then he goes on Fox News and says, yeah, darn that Green New Deal. Or whatever the hell he was saying. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just want to point out that when he was interviewed by local TV, he didn't say any of those things. He mm. was talking about the fact that the grid is primarily fueled by fossil fuels. But, you know, every bit of energy, all of the energy sources had issues, and we're going to deal with that. But then he went on Fox News that night and lied about, about it being wind energy. About the windmills. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Governor uh, Greg Abbott, uh, as we will discuss in our special coverage on the Green News Report a little bit later, uh, directed the state's natural gas providers to not ship outside of Texas. Contracts, schmontracks, deals are made to be broken, apparently, because conservatism. 
Uh, but state regulators said that it is unlikely that the state actually has the right to interfere with existing contracts to buyers. Now, maybe you all should have thought of that before you deregulated your entire grid and privatized the entire energy industry in Texas, Greg. So, yeah, your neighbors will, or at least should, get the natural gas that they need to keep their citizens warm while your own residents struggle now for a sixth day to stay alive, to find fresh drinking water, also shut down for lack of power, and to keep their pipes from freezing and bursting and flooding the entire house. But, you know, you didn't want to interfere in the so-called free market to make sure that the energy supply that your constituents needed was winterized because, you know, free market, conservatism. By the way, we get some good news just before we go on air that a couple, uh, at least according to Abbott, we'll see if he changes his tune when he appears on Fox, but apparently uh, two million uh, people in uh, Texas who did not have power now apparently do. Yes, it does appear that the power supplies are slowly coming back. Jim Wright, one of the three members of the state's oil and gas regulator, uh, which is actually called the Texas Railroad Commission. Yes, it has nothing to do with railroads. It is only about oil and gas but, and in some cases water. But sure, let's make fun of windmills as being old fashioned. Uh, anyway, uh, Wright said about stopping these export contracts, I'm not sure we have the authority to mess with that, nor do I really want to. But Abbott's ban prompted a response from officials in Mexico as U.S. gas pipeline exports to Mexico fell. The government there called the top U.S. representative in Mexico on Wednesday to press for natural gas supplies as power cuts there have hit millions of their residents. The White House said on Thursday that it was in discussion with Mexico authorities trying to smooth all of this over and to, and with Texas of officials about Abbott's directive. So well done, Texas. You caused an international incident all on your own because, well, Texas. <laughs> Texas exports uh, a gas via pipeline to Mexico and via ships carrying liquefied natural gas and also supplies numerous regions of this country, including the U.S. Midwest, uh, in the Northeast, where you can now expect your prices to go up thanks to Texas because freedom. The state's electrical grid operator, the uh, ERCOT, Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ironically named, uh, was trying to restore power as thermal generators, those powered by natural gas and coal and other fuels, lost the capability to provide power as valves and pipes froze. But hey, I thought it was the windmills. ERCOT said energy emergency conditions remain as the grid operator and transmission owners work to restore the customers that are without power. Blackouts, however, could continue through at least Friday, they warn. And with the storm now moving out of Texas, freezing temperatures remain and refining operations in particular might take days, if not weeks, to resume, Reuters reports. So the good news for the oil and gas industry is that their failure means that their prices go up. Yes, shortages of fuel make prices go up because that's what happens when yeah. you have a finite commodity rather than, say, I don't know, solar and wind that are free. So they are failing up 
from all-time low oil and gas prices, by the way. I wish that when we failed at our jobs, we got a raise for it. We'd be pretty wealthy by now, <laughs> wouldn't we? Uh, anyway, U.S. West Texas intermediate crude futures were near their highest since January, and natural gas futures hovered near a three-month peak. See? It's all working out. Texas, of course, is the nation's biggest fossil fuel energy producer, but its operators, unlike those in North Dakota or Alaska, are not protected against frigid temperatures because that might cost profits to its private corporate owners. Texas produces almost a quarter of U.S. natural gas production and consumes about 15 percent of it. Most of the gas it ships domestically goes to neighboring Oklahoma and Louisiana. Sorry, guys. LNG plant, uh, liquid natural gas plants in Texas were basically taking no gas, none, from the Texas grid as of Thursday morning. The Houston Ship Channel, a key export waterway, had reopened on Thursday, but there was hardly any vessel traffic at all. So, uh, you know, the um, the uh, the next day power for uh, for Thursday at the ERCOT North Hub, the shipping channel, which includes the cities of Dallas and Fort Worth, they were mired near a a record high of eighty eight hundred dollars per megawatt hour for power at this point. That's how the electricity prices have gone up. And to give you some perspective, so $8,800, $8,800 per megawatt, uh, megawatt hour. But before all of this happened, prices were below $50 per megawatt hour uh, before the cold blast. Now, this disaster, of course, comes on the heels of uh, Texas's esteemed junior senator, uh, just off helping to incite a deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, uh, having tweeted last August when California had to put in place some rolling blackouts to deal with uh, uh, with uh, with a heat wave at the time. Senator Ted Cruz said, quote, California is now unable to perform even basic functions of civilization like having reliable electricity. He went on to say Biden, Harris, AOC want to make California's failed energy policy the standard nationwide. Hope you don't like air conditioning. Uh, one Twitter wag wrote in response, wait till he hears how his own state is doing with electricity, glass houses and stones. Reality loves irony. So after getting beaten up relentlessly for that one, uh, you know, though it took a day or two of piling on, of piling on uh, Ted's horrible Texas's horrible junior senator, Ted Cruz, finally responded to say on Twitter, quote, I got no defense. A blizzard strikes Texas and our state shuts down. Not good. Stay safe. Which is actually the least horrible thing that Ted Cruz has said or done all year, I'm pretty sure. I would agree with that. It would be even better if he'd apologize, but that's yeah. probably a bridge too far. Oh, no, that didn't happen. God forbid he should actually, you know, do the right thing by apologizing to California for being an a-hole. Anyway, uh, Texas is uh, their senior senator, John Cornyn. He's a peach as well. Don't you know he shouldn't no, get off the hook definitely. because as as residents of his own state were fighting for their lives uh, amid both a pandemic and a lack of both power and water in the middle of a deep freeze. Cornyn tweeted this helpful note for his struggling constituents, quote, count me out. 
adding what appeared to be a headline, but he included no link to a story. The headline, Bill Gates, rich nations should shift entirely to synthetic beef. Well, I'm sure that was very helpful to the millions of freezing Texans this week. Thanks, John. Good work. Very responsive. Lucky for that idiot, however, the other U.S. senator from Texas actually makes John Cornyn look good. So what did Cruz do after admitting that he had no defense for his idiotic attack on California? Where, by the way, I don't believe we have ever had mass power outages for days on end across the entire state. So what did Cruz do next? Well, Senator Super Genius thought uh, this might be a nice time to get away from it all. Senator Ted Cruz is facing backlash today after photos went viral that showed him and his family traveling to Cancun, Mexico, as his state's residents suffer without heat, water and power. The images began circulating on social media Wednesday night, showing Cruz with his family waiting at an airport gate with luggage and uh, and, and boarding a plane. After Cruz's Senate office did not respond to NBC's repeated requests for comments on Thursday and the matter had blown up on social media and in the news, Cruz finally released a statement explaining that his decision to leave the state uh, was, uh, well, he was now returning home Thursday. In his explanation, he said it has to be, quote, inf an infuriating week for Texans and his family had, quote, Lost heat and power, too. With school canceled for the week, our girls asked to take a trip with friends, said Cruz. Wanting to be a good dad, I flew down with them last night and I'm flying back this afternoon. Adding, my staff and I are in constant communication with state and local leaders to get to the bottom of what happened in Texas. From the beaches of Cancun, apparently. Uh, he said, we want our power back, our water on and our homes warm. My team and I will continue using all our resources to keep Texans informed and safe. Adding also, can someone please bring me another margarita? Hmm. Uh, Cruz did not apologize or address Texans out outrage over his trip. And by the way, we got photos of him coming back. Uh, into Houston with a pretty big suitcase. Yeah, he wasn't planning on staying for, only a night. He was nope. just going to bring the girls and coming right back. Yeah, sure. By the way, before he released his uh, statement, the Houston Police Department confirmed to NBC that uh, his, uh, his staff had contacted them to uh, escort him, uh, supervise his uh, arrival, uh, his movements through uh, Houston's International Airport, because I'm certain the Houston police at this point have little better to do than to escort Ted Cruz to his plane to Cancun. To make sure people don't say mean things to him. Uh, Robert Mann, who served as the communications director to Louisiana Governor Ka uh, Kathleen Blanco during Hurricane Katrina, said this is usually the time that elected officials want to show their constituents how much they're committed to helping them during a disaster. This is among the dumbest, most callous things I have ever seen a politician do. Well, Ted Cruz is, after all, among the dumbest and most callous politicians this nation has ever coughed up like a hairball. The uh, state Democratic Party is calling on Ted Cruz to resign. Doubt he will. But he did say uh, during a uh, radio interview earlier this week on Monday, I think it was, uh, that his fellow Texans should stay home because of the danger posed by the storm. Don't risk it. 
Cruz said during the interview, keep your family safe and just stay home and hug your kids. We were able to obtain this statement from Senator Ted Cruz's communications director today. Um, yes, Senator Cruz is in Cancun right now. Um, but, you know, here at his offices, we say big whoop. Senator Cruz deserves to relax, unwind, unplug, recharge, you know, like you would a power outlet. Um, or his power grid's going to go out, and we can't be having that. You know, that's too important. So he's got to take care of his lot, which comes from the inside. It's funny that whenever he's here in America and he's doing his little jokes on Twitter, everybody says, go away, Ted, we hate you. But then when he goes away to Cancun, everybody says, well, where's Ted? Why isn't he doing his little jokes on Twitter? Now, sometimes you just don't know what you got till it's gone, and that should be a lesson for the Americans um, wondering where Senator Ted Cruz is at this morning. <laughs> okay. So that wasn't really uh, Ted Cruz's <laughs> communications director. It was comedian uh, Blair Erskine. But you get the point. And, of course, you know, I was already feeling uh, guilty for cracking jokes about all of this while people really are suffering in the Lone Star State. But you know what? If we do not laugh, we will cry. And we've had enough of that lately uh, as well, yes. I think. And, frankly, if you can't laugh at Ted Cruz... In both good times and bad, well, then the terrorists really have one. So, uh, you know, with a bunch of stories like that today and the Republican Party devolving into their own cold civil war and Fox News returning to form as the main GOP propaganda mouthpiece with that other guy now safely out of office, for now, I thought it might instead be a nice break today to boldly go where no broadcast has gone before. <laughs> to Mars. And we've got just the guest to help get us there. A voice from the past, in fact. Margo Paez, who worked on the Mars Perseverance rover, which just landed successfully on the Red Planet, joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, ready for takeoff. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Ziggy played guitar Jamming good with wind and gilly And the spiders from Mars There are spiders on Mars? Maybe. Maybe we'll find out. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, things are just so crappy these days on this planet. I thought it might be nice for a change to see what else is going on in the universe today. And as it happens, a lot is happening elsewhere in the universe today. NASA's latest Mars rover, Perseverance, stuck its landing just an hour or so before airtime on the Red Planet as ground controllers at the Space Agency's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, breathed a sigh of relief, a huge one, and let out a much-deserved cheer at the end of the 300-million-mile journey 
to Mars and what is described as seven minutes of terror during the very complicated nail-biting descent and landing. We're getting signals from MRO. UHF is good. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. Yeah, we just heard the news that Perseverance is alive on the surface of Mars. Looks like we have some more news in. It looks like we're getting the first image. Very cool. The successful landing of the six-wheeled vehicle weighing about a ton marks the third visit to Mars in just over a week. Two other spacecraft, one from the United Arab Emirates and one from China, swung into orbit around the planet on successive days last week. All three missions lifted off in July to take advantage of the close alignment of Earth and Mars traveling some 300 million miles over nearly seven months. Perseverance, the biggest, most advanced rover ever sent by NASA, stood to become the ninth spacecraft to successfully land on Mars, every one of them from the U.S., at least until now. Starting back in the 1970s, the SUV-sized plutonium-powered rover aimed for NASA's smallest and trickiest target yet, a five-by-four-mile strip on an ancient river delta full of pits and cliffs and fields of rocks. Scientists believe that if life ever flourished on Mars, it would have happened three billion to four billion years ago when water still flowed on the planet. Percy, as it is apparently nicknamed, was designed to drill down with its seven-foot arm and collect rock samples that might hold signs of bygone microscopic life. According to Australia's ABC News, Perseverance is the biggest, heaviest, and fastest rover that NASA has sent to Mars. And while it looks very similar to Curiosity, the last rover that NASA landed on the planet in 2012, it is apparently very different. For one thing, Perseverance is the first rover with tools that can specifically hunt for signs of microbial life that may have inhabited Mars when it was covered in lakes and oceans billions of years ago. Abigail Allwood, an Australian geologist at NASA who is in charge of the, the uh, rover's Pixel tool, one of the key instruments on board, said that no mission has ever been given the mandate to look for evidence of past life. Early rovers like Spirit and Opportunity were tasked with following the water, while Curiosity had been, and I think still is, exploring the chemistry of the atmosphere and the soil. While spacecraft trundling across Mars have detected organic material and taken some impressive photos of what appears to be a water-carved landscape, the information we have so far is not detailed enough to prove whether or not life ever existed on another planet other than Earth. So the plan is to land Perseverance in Jezero Crater. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'll find out in a second where scientists think that there was a large lake around three and a half billion years ago. Percy will use powerful instruments to identify interesting rocks for the robotic geologist to explore in detail. They'll be looking for telltale wobbly lines created by layers of microbes like those found in rocks of the same age here on Earth. Then, 
It will use tools such as Pixel and another one called Sherlock to look for chemical and molecular signs at the nanoscale to confirm whether or not the structures were made by microbes. Finding undisputed evidence of the earliest life forms on Earth is tricky. Searching for them on Mars is next level. If Perseverance finds stromatolites, that will be big news. But even if it doesn't, it would profoundly change our understanding of life, according to Mars 2020 project scientist Ken Farley. If we find no evidence of life, he says, we will have shown that at least in one place there is a habitable environment that is not inhabited. It would tell us that habitability alone is not sufficient, that something else has to be present for life to exist. Now, all of that sounds very complicated, of course, including the use of tools like Pixel and Sherlock, the stuff that you might need a rocket scientist to explain, which you certainly wouldn't think we would have around here on the broadcast. Ah, but you would be very wrong, sort of. Though I don't know if we would call her a rocket scientist... She was an associate producer on this show some years ago before she used her credentials, obviously working on the broadcast, to move on to NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory to work on Sherlock for this Mars mission. And I suspect, like many of us, she is breathing a sigh of relief right about now. Margot Paez... Uh, having left JPL after leaving the broadcast, apparently she can't hold a job, is now a Ph.D. candidate at Georgia Tech where she researches climate modeling and water resources with respect to climate change adaptation and mitigation. She also has a master's degree in physics, we'll get her, and is an independent journalist who is best known for her embedded reporting here on Occupy LA. And, and I didn't even know this, she apparently now co-hosts a show called Stand Up, Fight Back with her friend and activist Carlos Marroquin. Most proudly, of course, some of our longtime listeners may remember her as our now former and apparently irreplaceable broadcast super duper associate producer. And I call her irreplaceable because, in fact, she was never replaced. Desi just had to do a whole lot more work in her place since she left. Oh, Margot Paez, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad and Desi, for having me on on this very, very special day. It is a special day. By the way, you're still a Ph.D. candidate, right? So I don't yet have to call you doctor. Is that correct? <laughs> That's right. I am still a Ph.D. candidate, but... Getting much closer to that point, Brad, so start practicing because <laughs> I, I already passed my qualifying exam. Good. So Congrats. I just need to do the thesis and uh, graduate. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's all. I'm Not gonna, much. I'm going to have yeah, a, just, just a <laughs> I'm gonna have a problem with that, Margot, but we'll talk. <laughs> uh, anyway, huge congratulations, I believe, are in order. I know that I, we, Desi and I, were both on sort of the edge of our seat here during those seven and a half minutes of terror as the rover was descending and I actually got a bit teary when it was confirmed uh, safely on the planet. Mm. Uh, what was it like uh, from where uh, you are sitting today to watch that happen? Wow. I mean, I was also very emotional watching it because I contributed a very small part to Sherlock and Watson. Mm -hmm. And actually, Watson almost became my Ph.D. research until my mentors at JPL tricked me and sent me to Georgia Tech. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I I have very um, 
personal relationship with this rover. So yeah, I I also was crying <laughs> when yeah. when it when I saw it made it safely because it meant that all of this hard work paid off and now we can start doing the really fun stuff, which is the science. Well, let's talk about the science a little bit. Now, actually, so you worked on the Sherlock. You say there's another tool called Watson. What did you mm-hmm. actually uh, What did you actually do there? I thought you were just making up an excuse that you didn't want to work uh, with us on, on the broadcast <laughs> anymore when you said you were going to JPL. So uh, what did you yeah. actually do there on, on Sherlock? Well, I, I was an intern at JPL for about three and a half years, and I spent the whole time working in this group. Uh, and when I started, I was just doing just really basic things like smashing rocks, running experiments, testing the lasers. At the time, we had not been selected to be on the rover, even though this whole mission, you know, it's goes into planning for about like 10 years before the launch time. Uh, but it's not until, like, I guess five years into it that they actually start selecting the instruments. So it's a little mm. bit of an internal competition with at JPL, and my mentors wanted their instrument on this rover. So I helped a lot on the prep side for that, you know, uh, collecting data and getting the, 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 the plots, I guess you could say, the, the spec from the spectrometer, which mm-hmm. is what uh, Sherlock is. And then I, I, they found out that I could program, so then I, I spent the rest of my time developing a data management system to hold all of the samples that we would collect and analyze on Sherlock. So, in other words, they plan these missions to Mars, and then they sort of later figure out which tools will be included, which instruments will be included, and what experiments and so forth will be done. They figure that out sort of afterwards, after they've already figured out how they're going to get there? Yeah, I think that it starts with the mandate of what the mission is about, and then it can be opened up to the entire campus. And I think also externally, because there's a lot of collaboration with universities. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so it's kind of opened up and said, like, well, look, this is our goal. This is what we we are trying to do. And, you know, throw your throw your ideas into the pot and see, let's see what happens. Maybe we'll take it and you'll end up on this really cool mission. Now, in addition to rocks, as I understand it, Sherlock will also analyze what happens to... I think five different types of materials, like spacesuits, potential uh, spacesuits that might be used on the planet someday for the effects of uh, uh, radiation on the planet. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Because you see, they, NASA has this whole plan. It's like a uh, like decades-long plan of getting humans to Mars. So they've already planned out roughly that there will be a mission in the future that will send astronauts to the planet. And so this is in preparation to that future mission, which they think, at least when I was at JPL, would be maybe sometime around 2030s, maybe 2040s. So they've sent different materials that would belong to the spacesuits, and and Watson's, I mean, sorry, Sherlock's job is to scan it periodically and see if there's any kind of deterioration or effects due to the high radiation atmosphere. Of course, it's a thin atmosphere, so it's not like on the planet where you can just walk, it's not like the planet Earth where you can just walk outside and you feel fine, you maybe you get a little bit of a sunburn on a hot day. You know, Mars is it's a very thin atmosphere, so there's no real protection from mm. the radiation of the sun. So that's why it's important to run those tests. 
And, uh, yeah, when you talk about, uh, you know, sort of a long-term, long horizon for all of this, as I understand it, the so apparently the, uh, the, the rover, the Perseverance, will, will take core samples of rocks and start collecting them, and not only collecting them somehow, but sort of put them into a basket, which will then be collected at some point and brought back to Earth as I understand it, in like 2030 or something, once they figure out how to do that. Apparently they don't yet know, they don't yet have the technology to bring it back. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's partly true. Uh, Yes, there's a return mission planned, but they have been working on this whole idea of how to bring the samples back since they first uh, started selecting, at least since they they first started selecting instruments to be on the Perseverance mm-hmm. rover. So that's been going on for at least five years. I mean, when I was at, there interning in my early days, they were I, I, I knew an intern who was working with somebody who was who was working on sample return. So I'm sure that it's advanced quite a bit since then. But mm-hmm. yeah, the the mission obviously has not really been formulated so to the point where you know the general public knows about it but Mm -hmm. yeah it's always a a work in progress and for example like Sherlock really was something that took at least a decade to develop before they could even think of putting a proposal out to be on the the new rover so yeah it's a very long and slow process research but it pays off in the end Uh, it does Uh, uh, yeah you started (laughs) when did you start working at jpl on the sherlock project that was feels like years ago i know it was 2013 wow wow really uh, we we've missed you in those seven years, eight years, Margot. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> this uh, this mission also includes, I, I think, a drone that will fly above the planet for the first time. Uh, well, the first time that we know of that a drone has flown yeah. above the planet. Yeah. There's a helicopter called Ingenuity. I I don't know a whole lot about this particular project, but it. It's something that kind of seemed to like come about towards the end, but it's very interesting. It'll be the first time a helicopter has tried to fly on another planet, an unmanned helicopter at that. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal, and, and I think that has something to do with some of the future mission ideas as well. So I'm very interested to see how that turns out and what that looks like to get those close-up aerial views will be very exciting. Now, for the first time, there are two other uh, spacecrafts, I guess, now at at least above Mars, one from China, one from the uh, UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, do, do you know what their mission, their main missions are? And, uh, and by the way, did you know at the time that you were working on Perseverance that these two other rovers uh, were also going to be uh, taking off and, and arriving around the same time? I, I was not aware of them. The thing about the relationship between the United States and China is that there is very little collaboration between NASA and NASA scientists, HL scientists and engineers, and China. In fact, they're barred from a lot of conferences and we're not even allowed to buy computers from that, that are manufactured in China. Mm. So there, there's not a lot of information shared, unfortunately, because obviously science should be above the politics, but uh, unfortunately that seems not to be the case. So, no, I did not know about either of these missions. When I was at JPL, 
there was the mission that India had that was successful, and I, I remember that. But I, it's not really discussed uh, there on the lab. I'm sure maybe the higher-ups are aware of it, the administrators, but me personally, no, I didn't know about it. Uh, I think it's great. I think everyone, all countries, should be involved in space exploration, and I think I hope that more countries are. I think it's important it's overlooked. We don't always appreciate the benefits that we get from spa- doing space exploration. Mm-hmm. It's not. It it shows us that we can do things. We can put money towards ideas that don't necessarily generate a profit or necessarily an immediate benefit that we might see. But it actually really does benefit our knowledge, our understanding of our place in the universe, and especially when we're going through such difficult times like we are now with climate change and the pandemic, we really lose sight of our place and our meaning in mm. the entire universe and the fact that we do live in the universe. And there's more to it than, than our day-to-day lives. Well, so I, I really am a, a, an advocate of, of doing this kind of work. Just because just cause you want to be hired by JPL again. I know, Margot. I know what you're up to. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the um, uh, speaking of science and politics and climate change, uh, as yeah. uh, someone who has worked both on the Mars mission now uh, and now mm-hmm. on climate change, I want to get your thoughts on uh, this story today. Uh, na- this um, from the UK Express, NASA's Perseverance rover. Uh, will touch down on the surface of Mars on February 18. Obviously, this came out before it successfully did touch down. The machine, along with several other probes, which are currently in orbit around the Red Planet, could one day pave the way for human colonization. However, while the likes of Elon Musk and NASA hope to get uh, humans to Mars, superstar teenage climate activist Greta Thunberg has reiterated the need to focus on the climate problem plaguing Earth. They, uh, she released a mock advertisement for Mars called 1%, supposedly aimed at only the richest 1% who may eventually leave Earth. Thunberg's Friday for Future campaign released this video as a tourism ad for the Red Planet. After more than 5 million years of human existence on Earth, it's time for a change. Mars, 56 million square miles of untouched land, breathtaking landscapes, and incredible views. Sights to see that have never been seen. New adventures we can only dream of. But that's not all. On Mars, there's no war. No criminality. No pandemics and no pollution. Mars, an untainted planet, a new world where we can begin again. Mars offers the ultimate freedom. Freedom to pave a new path for humans. Freedom to create a new way of life. Freedom to forever change the course of humanity. Will you spend the rest of your years on Earth? Or will you be a pioneer? And at the end of that video, a message comes on the screen and says, quote, 
And for the 99% who will stay on Earth, we'd better fix climate change. Uh, this is uh, a, a very effective ad, actually. Uh, the um, uh, one of the uh, uh, spokesperson for the uh, Fridays for Future, Greta Thunberg's group, said government-funded space programs and the world's ultra-wealthy one percent are laser-focused on Mars, and yet most humans will never get a chance to visit or live on Mars. This is not due to lack of resources, but the fact that our global systems don't care about us and refuse to take equitable action. Thunberg and her group, of course, are not the only climate activists who are none too happy with all of this uh, Mars hogwash. Uh, Margo Paez, uh, what do you say <laughs> to uh, folks like that as someone who worked on the Mars rover and who is now working on climate change? Yeah, well, I, mean, I liked the ad, and I, I think it, it is very effective. I think her target really is or really are the, the, the very rich people like Elon Musk and, and Bezos who do have these private space companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and who really their goal is to colonize other planets and the moon. And and I'm actually very disturbed by what they're doing. I think that there is a misplaced uh, anger, though, because the reality is that NASA is only about 0.48% of the fiscal budget, at least in 2020. And a few years ago, maybe five years ago, there was a push by uh, in space enthusiasts to please, could you give NASA 1% of the budget? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so even though the number sounds big, it's really pocket change. Yeah. But the other thing is that when you do look at NASA's budget, half of the budget goes to human space flight. About a third of it goes to science and robotic missions. Now, that is where I think we, we really should focus our, our questioning because there are a lot of private industry contracts on the human spaceflight side. That includes Boeing and SpaceX, mm -hmm. Raytheon, etc. So the aerospace industry really benefits from all that funding. And that funding is, of course, going into for-profit areas. So that is where I do question, and I do agree with them, that, you know, why are we spending all this money on human spaceflight when the reality is it is limited? It is limited by our lifespans. It is limited by the fragility of our bodies. We can find out so much more about the universe through robotic and unmanned missions. And I think, personally, I think that's where the funding should go. And also, there has been a huge attack on Earth science. NASA, despite the lack of funding, what we know about climate change, a lot of it has come through the efforts uh, from NASA. Like, a lot of our satellites out there are NASA satellites. Mm -hmm. And some of them designed at JPL. And we would not have the data that we have to understand the effects of climate change on this planet had it not been for these Earth-based missions. So I, I agree with them, but I, I think that they missed the point. They don't understand completely how NASA works and that you should target the fact that they're is too much money tied to the for-profit industries, and that is a political thing and, and a profit thing. Well, you and, know... Yes, please leave Mars alone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and I don't agree with colonization. 
Well, you know, that, that's not good enough. That kind of nuance <laughs> on talk radio just will not I do, know. Margo. Pick a side. <laughs> uh, Desi Doyne, you got a side you want to pick on that? Uh, yeah, uh, I, that I happen to agree with Margo that colonization is a bad idea, personally, and I don't know that it will actually ever happen. Uh, we'll probably be able to figure out how to do it, but it's just a bad idea. We need to fix the planet we have first. And NASA's mission is the study of the home planet. So all of this work that NASA does not only has undergirded all of the science that we actually know about climate change right now, but the the work that is done in outer space, the work that is done to study other planets, helps inform how we can repair our own planet. So it's incredibly important, and and I'm just so happy for you, Margo, that your your experiment that you worked on that it made it there, it made it safe. I hope that this gives people some hope that yes, government can work, science can work, and it's fun, and we have lots of new interesting things that we can do now to fix stuff. Yeah, and, and so one last point on that. There's an instrument on Perseverance called MOXIE, and MOXIE is designed to act like a tree or a plant where it takes in carbon dioxide and outputs oxygen. Now, on, on the surface of this, this seems like, okay, well, that's interesting, but actually, what does this say for us technology-wise with carbon capture? Right? This is a yeah. carbon capture instrument, mm. and this does a direct connection mm-hmm. to climate change. So I throw that out mm-hmm. to Fridays for Future, who, the, an organization that I have deep respect for, and Greta Thunberg, I have great, great respect for her, but I just like to just remind them that as important as it is to, to understand how the climate works, it is also so important to understand how other areas of science work, too. Hmm. So. Keep up the good work. I 100% support you guys, and and I don't hold this slight mistake against them at all. Soon to be Dr. Margot Paez, formerly working on the Mars rover mission, now successfully on the planet called Perseverance. Margot, uh, and yes, our super duper associate producer who will always be irreplaceable. Margo, really appreciate you uh, talking to us today. Congratulations again. And by the way, if people want to find Margo on the Twitters and harangue her about any of her positions <laughs> on all of this, you can find her at Margo Tillian. That's, That's Margo right. Tillian on the Twitters. Hey, Margo, thanks so much. Great talking with you. Congratulations. Stay safe. And uh, you are now officially Bradcast's own in-house Mars, ro- uh, Mars rover expert. So we'll be talking awesome. to you soon. Thank you so much. And I am forever the super duper associate producer. So <laughs> Correct. I look forward to the next time. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, yeah, see, Desi Doyen, we still can do great things in this country. Indeed we can. Which is very cool. Quick break, and we're back with a uh, not great thing we're doing in this country (laughs) down in Texas. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. You know, it wasn't on purpose, at least not consciously, but I think, uh, Des, yesterday's show and this show today, I don't know if we have once mentioned the name of 
the guy who used to be in the White House. <laughs> Good point. For two shows in a row. Wow. How is that even possible? What has gone wrong? Well, we know what went wrong down in Texas, as we discuss in our latest Green News Report. Green News Report special coverage. This is a life-threatening humanitarian crisis, and it is growing by the hour. Families all over this state doing whatever they can to stay warm and sometimes making deadly choices. Deep freeze devastates Texas power grid as death toll climbs. Texas neglected and underinvested in its grid until it finally broke during the storm. Privatization and deregulation left Texas vulnerable. Plus, it seems pretty clear that a reckless reliance on windmills is the cause of this disaster. Is that right, do you think? That is absolutely right. Absolutely wrong. Right-wingers launched Texas disinfo campaign to attack renewable energy. All of those misfires and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There's going to be a lot of people now uh, out there trying to say, well, uh, the, the, natural, the fossil fuels have also failed. That's right, because they did fail, Mark Morano, dead Rush Limbaugh's former producer. You got something against telling the truth? Dumb question, I know. That ain't what the fossil fuel industry pays you for. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, boy, when this week started, it looked bad in Texas, and it has turned out to be even worse than I think any of us could have imagined. Yes, the deadly days-long winter weather emergency in Texas and in other states has deepened into a full-blown disaster and humanitarian crisis with national security implications. As we go to air, millions remain without power across the southern and central U.S. The storm and its aftermath have killed at least 30 people, many in Texas. Hundreds have been treated at hospitals for exposure to the cold and for carbon monoxide poisoning as desperate people turn to unsafe measures to keep warm. The Texas power grid buckled because ultra-cold temperatures froze natural gas, coal, and nuclear power plants that are its primary energy sources. The state is suffering water outages because water mains and water treatment plants are literally frozen. Half of the state's 254 counties are experiencing water problems. Dozens of cities, including Houston, have issued boil water notices. But in hard-hit areas, there is no water to boil. Nuclear power reactors were shut down because there is no water to cool the reactors. The state's agriculture commissioner warned of looming food supply problems. Texas military bases have also been severely impacted, harming military readiness. In a press conference on Wednesday, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott warned that most of the state will remain below freezing through the weekend. Abbott also ordered Texas natural gas producers to sell fuel to in-state power generators. I have issued an order effective today requiring those producers that have been shipping to locations outside of Texas to instead sell that natural gas to Texas power generators. 
Texas can't import power from other states like the rest of the country because in the 1990s, Republican lawmakers deregulated and privatized the state's electric grid to avoid federal regulations, cutting it off and isolating it from the rest of the country. That allowed Texas companies to prioritize profits over maintenance upgrades. So there are no requirements by the state to winterize energy resources. No requirements, and because they're cut off from everyone else in the country, they can't get help when they need it. The architect of the state's privatized, deregulated system told reporters that the state's energy market is functioning as it was designed. Even though Texas grid officials have confirmed that the blackouts are primarily due to freezing of gas, coal and nuclear plants and that frozen wind turbines were the least significant factor, Republican politicians, Fox News and right wing media have sprung into action to deflect responsibility for the cascading consequences of deregulation and privatization, launching a tsunami of misinformation to falsely blame wind energy for the state's grid failure. That's so unlike them. Here's Tucker Carlson. So unbeknownst to most people, the Green New Deal came to Texas. The power grid in the state became totally reliant on windmills. Then it got cold and the windmills broke. No, you are not hallucinating. The Green New Deal did not pass. And no, Texas isn't primarily reliant on wind energy. It didn't come secretly to Texas? No. So it's as if Tucker Carlson is just making stuff up? Yes. That's so unlike him. Another storm has hit the South through the Mid-Atlantic, with one-third of Americans under new winter storm advisories, creating more shortages of natural gas and more extended power outages. The Texas disaster could boost President Biden's proposal to harden the nation's aging electric grid and crumbling infrastructure, but will Republicans heed it? And will America fall for the lies that are coming out of Texas, coming out of Fox News, trying to blame Blame all of this on renewable energy. That propaganda machine is pretty powerful. For much more on this story and the ones we couldn't get to today because of it, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com, where we are celebrating the 12th anniversary of the Green News Report, and we thank you for stopping by bradblog.com donate to help us. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. You're as cold as ice You're willing to sacrifice our love You never take advice Someday you'll pay the price, I know Yeah, they are paying the price. Indeed they are, Unfortunately, sadly. in Texas. Uh, good news is... Power is now beginning to come back on. Yes, a little bit. There's still a lot, quite a few people without power, but, um, you know, it's it's coming back on slow. They're paying now that price. Uh, incredible. Anyway, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to our guest today, Margot Paez, formerly of the Bradcast and formerly of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, soon to be an actual doctor, Ph.D., Uh, And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That, of course, made possible by those of you who support our work, and we can't thank you enough for it by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 